Coming up on this week's show, Adriana Herrera joins us to talk all about her Dreamer series. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 188 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from willcanas.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. This episode of the show is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. A big thank you to Yoast for recently joining us. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Now, this week's interview transcript is sponsored by Dreamspinner Press. Dreamspinner Press is proud to publish Hank Edwards and Deanna Wadsworth and their latest book, Murder Most Lovely. Check it out and all the new mystery and suspense titles from authors like Amy Lane, Casey Wells, Tara Lane, and Reese Ford, just to name a few. And maybe you'll find a new favorite author while you're at it. Go to dreamspinnerpress.com for everything you'll want in gay romance. I quickly want to thank everyone for joining us once again, and I want to bring up the fa- well. If I could just toot our own home for half a second, sure. Um, last <laughs> week uh, we hit another um, special milestone. Uh, I know we mentioned this recently, but we had another all-time high uh, download week uh, mm-hmm. for last week's episode. So thank you for everyone who has shown up recently uh, and had listened to the show and have hopefully enjoyed it uh especially we want to welcome anyone who is listening uh from russia uh jeff jeff informed (laughs) me jeff looked at the little the little heat map of where most of our listens come from and russia actually happens to be in the top 10 so the uh, russian federation so uh if you're listening to us from russia welcome we are glad you are here yeah absolutely Special shout out this week to everyone attending Book Lovers Con in New Orleans. Uh, we hope you have a great time this week, and uh, we're happy to tell you that Jay from Joyfully Jay uh, is our person on the scene, and she will actually join us in episode 190 with a little bit of a recap of what went on in this first of the reformatted RT conventions. So looking forward to talking to her about that. Mm-hmm. Now, I know recently you've been busy an awful lot with work, plus... <laughs> Plus, you've been working really hard at re-editing the Hattrick series, but you actually have news on your newest release. I do. This, uh, well, not this week. It's in two weeks on May 28th. The final book in the Codename Winger series called Netminder will come out. Uh, In this particular book, uh, Theo is on the run. He's been cut off from the agency, cut off from his parents, and he's kind of out there on his own. And, you know, he's trained as a secret agent. He has had training. But you know what? He's also a 17-year-old kid. And it's it's not all great being cut off on your cut off and left on your own. And he's got to save the world in the middle of all of it. So I'm kind of excited uh, and a little bit sad. It's uh, the last book in the series, as I think I mentioned. And it's, it's always scary to wrap that up uh, in a way. But uh, just this week, uh, the first of the reviews came out. And thank you, Anna, at Gay Book Review. She actually gave it five stars. And made it a recommended read. Uh, One of the things that she said, that this has been a fascinating series. Theo has taken a special spot in my heart. I wouldn't hesitate to recommend it to anyone who likes books with a lot of action and who likes YA. 
So thank you for that, Anna. I was also pleased to know that she forgave me for everything that I put Theo through uh, in the middle of this book. So thank you for that. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, I'm starting kind of the, the blog tour for it a little early on my own blog this week over at jeffadamsrights.com. I talk specifically about why I wanted to write this series. And if you've followed along over the two years that these books have come out, it's been a lot about wanting to present a character who wasn't going through a coming out process or going through a first love sort of scenario, but also just a teenager who was doing teenagery stuff, but also being a little bit on the extraordinary side with the, with the spy stuff. And the blog post talks about a, a connection I made with a particular young man who really found these books at the right time for him. So the link for that will be in the show notes, and you can check it out at jeffadamswrites.com this week. Fantastic. Really quickly, we want to mention something that we have been watching recently. Uh, the show Fosse Verdon has been airing on the FX channel here in the States. Um, it's about halfway through its run. Mm -hmm. And it, of course, uh, as you might guess by the title, <laughs> it uh, focuses on the lives and working relationship of Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. And this is a must-see for fans of musical theater. I'm really enjoying the show itself. Mm -hmm. I really am too. I love um, uh, Sam Rockwell's portrayal of Bob, but even more, I'm just, I'm dazzled by Michelle Williams as Gwen Verdon. Um, she's really shown herself to be growing as an actress from when we all got to know her in the Dawson's Creek days. Uh, and this, I think, might be the pinnacle of her career so far, what she's doing here. Uh, I'm loving the the behind the scenes of the shows, but also their, let's call it a complicated personal life, perhaps. Uh, the storytelling techniques I'm finding interesting, too. It reminds me a lot of the late 1970s movie All That Jazz, which was directed by Bob Fosse. It was a semi-autobiographical picture about his life. And there's a lot of the intercutting stuff that they're doing in the show that reminds me a lot of that. But it's been really enjoyable to watch. This is probably not the most um, accessible show for people who mm. aren't fans of musical theater or have no previous knowledge of who uh, Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon are. Uh, I'm not 100% sure regular, in quotes, <laughs> regular people. I'm not sure how much they would get out of this show. Um, it's really for uh, people who are into musical theater. Um, I don't know. Your mileage may vary. It depends. Yeah. Uh, Fosse Verdon airs on FX Tuesday nights and is also available if you need to catch up on FX On Demand and the FX app. High school hockey player, computer whiz, covert agent. Theo Reese's life is split between being a normal teenager and a secret agent who goes by the code name Winger. After years of providing mission support from behind his keyboard, he's thrust into an unexpected world of adventure and danger. In Tracker Hacker, the first book in the Codename Winger series by Jeff Adams, it becomes personal for Theo as an enemy organization compromises tactical operational support's agent tracker system. Among the missing agents, his father. Theo puts his life on the line to stop the hack and rescue his dad. Diverse Reader says, Wow, talk about a wild ride from beginning to end. I could not stop reading. Discover the world of Codename Winger with Tracker Hacker. Available in ebook, 
paperback, and audiobook, as narrated by John Solo. So we have lots of books to talk about this week. My first book this week is With a Kick Collection Number 2 by Claire London with narration by Joel Leslie. Now, back in episode 144, I reviewed the audiobook of the first With a Kick Collection. And now with Collection 2, once again, the writing of Claire London combines with the narration of Joel Leslie to make a super awesome experience. There are two stories in this collection with Pluck and Play and Double Scoop. Now, in Pluck and Play, delivery person Curtis is saved from a homophobic attack by a cowboy singer, Riley. It's an interesting meet-cute since moments after Riley dispatches the attacker, he and Curtis fall into some delightful banter. Once they meet, they're continually running into each other. Riley occasionally is performing on the sidewalk across the street from the With a Kick ice cream shop, which is where Curtis is often making deliveries and hanging out with his friends who run the shop. Now, the difficulty for Curtis and Riley and I do love how Claire handles this, is that they really have to decide if this is a thing between them or is it just a one-off bit of fun. Uh, Riley is supposed to go back to the States eventually, plus he's got issues going on with his family. Meanwhile, Curtis is hesitant to let anyone get close to him again after his relationship was so disastrous. Now, Claire does a wonderful job of finding moments of tenderness for Curtis and Riley while also dealing with their troubles. I mean, it, it's very much what Claire does oh so well in her mm -hmm. writing. Yeah. I think I've developed a thing recently, too, for the bodyguard trope, and I, I blame this on you. Um, All my fault. <laughs> Riley has a protector streak that I loved so, so much. As soon as he finds out what Curtis's ex is up to, he wants to put a stop to it. And the same can be said, although to a lesser degree for Curtis, because he wants to help Riley deal with his family issues, too. It's so clear that these two are meant to be together, and once they figure out how to get out of their own way and take care of their past to get to their happily ever after. They are so golden. Now, in Double Scoop, Claire has written what I think is my favorite of the With a Kick stories. Now, this one centers on shop, the shop owners, Patrick and Lee. As the story opens, an explosion rocks the shop, injuring Lee and leaving Patrick in a fit of concern for his friend and their business. Now, these two have had this business and flirty relationship throughout the series, and they're finally getting their moment in the spotlight. Patrick is the slightly older one can't imagine why younger Lee would be interested in him. He f doesn't feel particularly accomplished despite owning the business, and he doesn't feel particularly attractive either. Lee, however, knows exactly what he wants, and he keeps going for it, even though Patrick does not make it easy for Lee to get close and stay there. Now, Claire toys with them and the reader in the most delicious way, kind of bringing them together, sort of getting them settled, and then causing a rift. Uh, it made for a fun and yet occasionally tense read with the back and forth. Luckily, the amazing cast of characters that Claire developed over this series come together, not only to help get the shop reopened, but also to bring these men together. Their friends know what's best for them, even if they can't quite figure out how to make it work. Now, both with a kit collections are great for some sexy short romances that have the best happily ever afters. You can't go wrong picking it up on audio either. Joel Leslie does a tremendous job with a large cast of characters, particularly in Double Scoop, because as I mentioned, practically everyone who's been in the series shows up in this, in this edition. Now, Joel deserves a special shout out for Riley, who is the only American accent, and it's a Southern one too. I so enjoyed listening to him go back and forth between Curtis's British and Riley's Southern. If you're looking for some fun reads, and this will surely make you want some ice cream this summer, I know I've picked up ice cream myself a little bit this week already, 
You should get yourself with a kick collection two by Claire London and grab that first one too if you haven't already. It'll make for some good summertime reading. Now the other book that I listened to this week is called The Whisperers by Greg Howard with some narration by Kivliga di Montebello. This was quite an unexpected middle grade gem that often surprised me with the depth it explored and I'm actually reading it because you put it in front of me and I don't know what even put it in front of you to say, hey Jeff, you need to read this, but I'm so glad you did. Now, I'll caution as I get into this that the end packs a lot of emotional punch and some readers may want to tread lightly on this young man's journey because it's heartbreaking while it does conclude in a very satisfying and fulfilling place. 11-year-old Riley is missing his mama. She's been gone for a few months and Riley doesn't know why. He's one of the last people to see her, though, and he's meeting regularly with a police detective to try to fill in the pieces of what he knows. However, he gets frustrated with the speed the case is moving, and he does remember the story his mama used to tell him about the Whispers, little blue fairies who live out in the woods, and you can't help but wonder if those might be the key to getting her back. Now, what I love so much about this book is how strong Greg made Riley's narrative. He keeps true to how an 11-year-old might perceive the world. Riley already knows he's gay, and he actually refers to this as one of his conditions that he has to keep a secret. And this is not the only condition that he's got, either. He also crushes on Dylan, who he refers to as the superhero redneck. Dylan's in 8th grade, and he keeps up his superhero status by actually acknowledging Riley and occasionally defending him against the school bully. Now, Raleigh convinces his best friend Gary to go on an adventure in the woods to find the Whisperers. And again, this trip reveals so much about Riley, as he has to deal with a hobgoblin. Or was it really? Hmm. The fact that Dylan may or may not be a superhero, uh, and the consequences of saying the wrong thing to your friend, all while trying to do the right thing so the Whisperers help him. Now, one of the extraordinary characters in this book is Tucker the Dog. Tucker's Riley's faithful companion, always at the boy's side to nudge him in the right direction and keep him safe, to the point that Riley actually refers to him as a dog person occasionally. The dog has an amazing personality that really shines through Riley's narrative. I don't think I've ever liked a dog on a page as much as I do Tucker. And again, it all goes to how Greg has, has written this story to kind of make you lock into the dog in this way. It's a great credit to Greg that he had me so invested in Raleigh that I didn't even try too hard to piece together what was happening. As the plot hurtled towards its conclusion, I was constantly surprised as it pivoted between sadness and happiness as the revelations came fast and furious. And kudos to Kivligan as well for capturing Raleigh so perfectly. It was a very satisfying audiobook experience. This was my first Greg Howard book, and I'll definitely check out his other titles as well. I do recommend The Whisperers if you're looking for a superb read featuring an 11-year-old who is going through a lot but comes out stronger and wiser on the other side. So thank you for putting this in front of me. Oh, you, it's my pleasure. <laughs> How did you even find a middle grade book? Um, Just one of those random things? Well, technically, uh, I came across the author uh, online on social media. Uh, and I took a look at some of his books, and I knew this would be kind of like right up your alley. It so completely was. Now, you've read a book this week that's also right up my alley, and you were the lucky one to read it first. 
you've got American Fairy Tale for us. Yes, this is the second book in Adriana Herrera's Dreamers series, and it focuses on Camilo. He is a New York City social worker who goes to an absurdly swanky charity event that his boss can't attend, and he's intent on enjoying the very special evening, which includes chatting up the hottie he meets at a bar. Mm. Now, after a few drinks and some suggestively flirty banter, uh, he and Mr. Hot Stuff find a dark corner and make the night truly memorable. And the next morning, Camilo's boss introduces him to Tom, the millionaire who will be financing the agency's major renovation project. Tom also happens to be Camilo's hot charity gala hookup from the night before. Dun, dun, dun. Oops. Oops. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big oops. <laughs> so aware how awkward the situation truly is, Tom agrees to keep things strictly professional moving forward. But he also asks that Milo be the point man on the project, keeping him up to date on the renovations. Their weekly meetings begin to look more and more like dates. A meal at a fancy restaurant, a walk through the botanical gardens. And as Camilo gets to know Tom a little bit better, he realizes that he's certainly not your average philanthropic millionaire. And there's certainly more than meets the eye when it comes to Tom. Eventually, the pretense of keeping things professional it begins to hold less and less appeal for the both of them uh, when they can no longer deny their attraction tom takes milo back to his place and of course the sex is amazing but the afterglow is very short-lived when tom's ex drops by with their daughter oh no now tom shares custody of libertad his daughter with his former husband and learning of all of this which tom has failed to you know to mention up until this point uh, briefly throws milo for a loop but it's hard to resist the precocious little girl and milo falls even harder for the millionaire and his ready-made family a situation with Milo's mom has him taking on more work and financial responsibility. In addition, he's working overtime as the massive uh, renovation project uh, begins wrapping up. He's stretched almost to the breaking point. When Tom offers him help, the fiercely independent Milo insists that he has it all under control. Tom quietly takes care of things. I mean thinking that it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission, right? Yeah, okay. uh, but in this case, no. Uh, Camilo is furious. And I have to admit, like at this point in the book, as a reader, it's hard not to be frustrated by Milo's stubborn streak. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you want to shake him sometimes. It's like, ah, you're a millionaire, you're a millionaire boyfriend. Get over yourself. That kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but eventually it becomes clear that Milo is, of course, right. Tom's intervention robbed Milo of his like own autonomy. It's Milo's choice whether or not to ask for help. No one else's. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is you know a 100% a deal breaker for Milo, and it causes like a major rift in their relationship. Tom has to find a way to fix things by doing the hard work and not using his money to solve the problems. Um, so since this is a romance, Tom figures everything out, and he pulls off a grand gesture that is kind of less grand but more heartfelt and like considerately thoughtful which is exactly what milo needed and the best anyway and everything wraps up with a, a truly oh my gosh uh <laughs> truly swoon worthy uh family vacation in the dominican republic and everyone lives happily ever after what I thought was really nice about this book is that from the get-go, it's obvious that Milo and Tom are meant for one another. So instead of like the hard, like uphill battle that characters usually have to go through in order to reach their HEA, um, this book is sort of more about 
the smaller moments about the two of them kind of truly getting to know one another and those small steps towards um, a commitment to mm-hmm. one another. Um, also, I think what uh, I didn't really mention it in my review, but there is a wonderful, engaging, and funny cast of secondary characters. As within the first book, uh, the second book really uses um, the two main characters' relationships with their family and their friends and everyone that surrounds them to kind of uh, open up the world uh, and make it seem like uh, real. Uh, there's an especially uh, adorable scene where uh, Tom invites all of his like friends and family over and has an un-Thanksgiving. Mm. Uh, there's like no turkey and no <laughs> stuffing. Uh, everyone sort of like brings over a potluck dish of like you know, a favorite family recipe or something from whatever country they're originally from, that kind of thing. Uh, and they all eat and they hang out uh, and there's dancing later. It's uh, really, uh, <laughs> I don't know where that thought was going either. It sounds delightful though. <laughs> yeah. So despite these scattered thoughts, I mean, I <laughs> there's really just too much to mention about what I loved about this particular story. So I really enjoyed this book and I'm looking forward to the next one. For sure, which, as we hear in the interview, is coming this fall. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to get these books or anything we mentioned in the episode, you can always go to the show notes page at BigGayFictionPodcast.com, and you'll be looking for episode 188. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews, too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So, of course, to mark the release of American Fairy Tale this week, we are very excited to have Adriana join us. Uh, She's going to talk about the Dreamer series and a whole bunch more stuff. So we're just going to get right to it. Welcome, Adriana, to the show. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. <laughs> so have we, to be honest, since we read American <laughs> Dreamer uh, that we loved. We loved so much. Um, so the, a good first question is, what was the inspiration behind the Dreamer series? Um, so basically, I think I wanted to write Afro-Latinx characters. I was... Um, I've said this um, in a couple of the conversations I've had about the book. I, it was really a specific time um, a couple years ago, right after the election, when there was just like a lot of negative conversation around the places, the place of immigrants in the U.S. Um, and I just really felt compelled to write a story that I felt I could honor like my, my identity, which is Afro-Latinx and the Afro-Latinx immigrant experience. And I think representation has also been an issue for me with romance specifically. I feel like there's a lot, there are stories of um, people of color and gay romance, but I felt like they were either really surface characters or there was like a real like toil story. Like, you know, the person had to go through like every kind of like horrific thing. So I wanted to write something that could be nuanced and also like show the joyfulness and the beauty of being a person that's Afro-Latinx and all the amazing things that we come with. So 
that was kind of like where I was coming from. And I also really, really wanted a book literally full of just like the gayest, most black and brown book I could write. (laughs) It should almost be a quote on the cover. (laughs) Yeah. I want it to be super gay, super black, super brown. So... Right before we did this interview, you raved on Fairy Tale. Um, tell us in your own words what that story is about and kind of how it falls in the series. So it's the second book in the Dreamer series, and it's set in New York City, which um, is different from Dreamer, which is set in Ithaca. And it's about Camilo Briggs, who's um, one of the best friends of Nesta from the first book, and he's a Cuban-Jamaican social worker. And he works in the domestic violence field, which is the same field that I work in. And he meets this, like, very hot stranger at a gala. And he turns out to be a big donor for his, for the agency that he works for, that Camila works for. And Tom is an interesting character because he's a billionaire, which we love in our romances. Um, But he's also Dominican, and white passing, which is something that I really wanted to explore um, in a book, what it means to be Latinx, but also like kind of have the privilege of like presenting as a white person and what that means and how hard that is to like navigate. So I, I guess like it's about, a fa- it's a fairy tale, it's a modern day fairy tale, but it's also, again, like a different side to the Latinx experience. And it's sweet and fun and cute and sexy. <laughs> yes, it's most, yeah, it definitely is. Um, first, uh, before we get to the, the next question, I want to uh, commend you on the sort of... What I found really enjoyable about not only American Dreamer, but the uh, American Fairy Tale as well, is the sort of like the, the group of friends, the sense of like found family... That comes across really strong in this series. Um, I think it's uh, exceptionally well done. Um, and especially in that first book, because, um, like, right at the beginning from the get go, you introduce this, frankly, a really large cast of characters. Um, and I think with a lesser author, that could, um, frankly, get confusing. Um, mm-hmm. I know when I read a book, I get confused easily if they're like, you know, five, six, seven people, you know, names and personalities all thrown at you at once. But each of your characters, each of the friends in that group are so clearly delineated. And um, uh, especially in that first book in the opening scene, um, you give us the the briefest glimpses of who they are. And, and we understand, frankly, you know, right away. Uh, where they kind of fit uh, in the, the group of friends, uh, and they're and of course they're all wonderful and interesting <laughs> and funny, and um, they give each other shit like good friends do. Um, yeah. I, I love this group of guys so much. Thank you. Um, I have to admit, like these, they're not my friends, <clears throat> but those four guys are very inspired on my like really core group of friends in my early 20s. Um, in the DR, when I was still in Dominican Republic, like my core group of friends were mostly gay men because my cousin, who's like my brother, um, who's 14 months older than I, um, is gay. And 
a lot like we kind of just like started hanging out with this group of like queer kids in the DR which in the 90s was kind of an interesting crowd to be in just because it wasn't really okay to be openly gay and so and we had so much fun and we did so much like crazy stuff together and I just kind of really wanted to kind of like write a love letter to those like that those friendships and those years and a lot of them ended up coming to the states at the same time I did in my early 20s so I think they feel so real because they are like real mm-hmm. these books are getting so much praise what do you think's resonating with the readers I think um I think people are more open now, or I think there we're always sort of that we're open to like reading about those different experiences. But I think there's like a particular appetite now for reading more characters that are bringing with them like a different lived experience. And I think that might be part of it, like why people are interested in the story. And I think everybody can, con- can connect to like a striving story. You know, I think like, Nesto and Jude and Camilo, Patrice, Juan Pablo, all of them, like, they're just striving to be who they know they deserve to be for the lives that they're working for. And I think everyone can relate to that and that struggle of, like, fighting for what you want. Mm -hmm. Did you also intend to make everybody hungry? With American yes. humor? Yes. <laughs> Was that part of, like, your side plot? <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. I wanted because um, also that's the other piece. Like, Caribbean food is very similar but very, like, different in many ways. And I talk about that a lot in Dreamer. And it's the – I wanted to just, like, show people, like, all the different flavors and how we're all connected. So I think it's something that doesn't really get talked about as much, like, the – wide variety of our flavors so i did intentionally want people to be very interested in caribbean food i wanted people to google dominican restaurants and it sounds like i succeeded i think you did (laughs) yeah (laughs) i haven't gotten into fairy tale yet is there food there also or do we break away from the food a little bit (laughs) a little bit a little bit (laughs) yeah a little bit it's not as much food it's more but i feel like um fairy tale is more about like harlem and the bronx I have a lot of places in Harlem and the Bronx because, mm-hmm. again, there are a lot of romances set in New York City. Not many of them are set in Harlem and the Bronx. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go to the places where, like, the diaspora that I belong to came to. So I think that's more – I'm hoping people Google places to go in the Bronx and Harlem <laughs> <laughs> with this one. That is a good, good goal to have, most definitely. Um, now, with this group of characters, um, they come from uh, a lot of different backgrounds. What is your mm-hmm. process for uh, basically ensuring accurate representation? Is that all from your own personal experience or or something else? Yeah. Yeah. So, so far in this series, and I'm sure that as I write more, then I'm going to have to go outside of that. But so far in this series, I've really gone with... Um, origin stories that I know of or from people that are like my friends or things like that, like Camilo's mom, for example, is a Marielita, which was a specific group of Cuban refugees that came at a specific time to the U.S. 
And I kind of touch upon that because that's like a very important, like, influx of immigrants that came at a specific time. And they're all um, particular experiences that I have been connected to through my friends or family. Um, but I do think um, writing diaspora is something that people need to be more thoughtful about. So I think I, I try to think a lot about, like, when did this person come? How did they come? What was the political situation in the U.S. at that time? How they would have been received, like, with Patrice, you know, his Haitian and he's black. His experience and the way he was received would be different than, for example, Camilo, who came as a, who's, Camilo's mom, who came as a Cuban refugee and had, like, protected status as she came in to the U.S. So it's very, like, there's nuances there and, like, context that really needs to be thought about because it really impacts how the person like can integrate into American life. Yeah. And speaking of writing from experience, um, you have a job in, in social work and advocacy. Did you use your own personal uh, experience when writing about uh, Camilo's work? Yes. So Camilo's work and my work, I mean, I really drew, drew from what I do every day to kind of like build Camilo's agency. I mean, kind of like my wish list almost. Mm -hmm. Like I wish we could have a guy <laughs> that just wants to drop $2 million on my agency and tell us, do whatever you want with it. So I think it was like my fantasy of what it would be like to be in an agency that is just being well-funded and like resources are just there to do the work. So I think it's like my my own fairy tale of what it would be like to mm -hmm. work and just have a millionaire just drop money on us. But <laughs> yes, it's very, very connected to my own work and kind of like my philosophy around the domestic violence field and how the work should go. Mm -hmm. I like how you said really the books in our extremely modern times too. And I, I think in American Dreamer, as as Nesto faces the discrimination of the of the who I like to call the evil woman, um, yes, and how even he he deals with it because I think that it tells a story that not everybody necessarily thinks about all the time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really wanted to contrast even um, in the book like Jude's own reactions to how her um the racism and the obvious discrimination and sabotaging and Nesto's reactions to it and the reality that there are there are different consequences t for some people than to others and that that's a reality you kind of just have to got, walk with mm -hmm. and i loved how he dealt with it too taking that high road i just like mm -hmm. go nesto yeah. <laughs> right and it's, i mean it's the reality you like it could have a consequence that was like very, very difficult for him. So he mm -hmm. couldn't just like get into a thing with this lady. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, American Dreamer was your first book. Yeah. How did you come into writing romance and specifically MM romance? So I've been toying with the idea of writing an MM romance for a long time. Um, I've been an MM romance reader for like a long time, like, I was I was at the first GRL. I've been I'm like an OG <laughs> of MM romance, but um, I was a lot more involved in the community and then kind of stepped back. I got busy and I just kind of kept reading, but I had it in the back of my mind. I find the 
I find that what MM Romance brought to my life in terms of like dynamics and relationships and seeing, like I said, having friends all my life that were gay men and me being so close to so many men who were like looking to fall in love and not being able to see love stories. Like I remember when I started reading LGBT books, they were very like sad very sad stories, like in the 90s, right? Like, I mean, I grew up in the 90s. And so they, like, just finding a romance was something that was, like, so incredibly, like, wonderful for me. And I thought, wouldn't it be even more wonderful if I could actually find my particular experience and the particular experience of the people who I love in those books? So it was kind of like a combination of, going to a place like the type of story that had been really meaningful to me and then kind of like putting my own experience into the space. What was it like to write the first book after having read so many? Was it a kind of a Mm. easy process or was it crazy and hard and took years or? (laughs) So it didn't take me that long (laughs) if I have, if I'm honest. But I have been thinking about it for a long time. So before I actually like started writing, I kind of like did a whole year of like reading a lot of craft books and going to workshops and like trying things. And I actually started a book set in Ethiopia, um, which is also a gay romance. And I got through like a third of that. And I was like, I cannot write this book. I am not equipped to write um, a gay romance in Ethiopia right now. So I went to, and I decided I want to do this um, story, this dreamer story. And then that's when I started. But it was like a year and a half before I actually felt like brave enough to actually write it. Yes. I'm so (laughs) glad that you found that bravery (laughs) to give us what we got. Yeah. Um, Who would you say your author influences are? You say you've read, you know, M.M. forever, even before it was truly M.M. back in the Saturdays. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of authors that, I mean, I've loved a lot of authors um, from the beginning that I think, I don't know if I emulate, but I think about a lot and they're um, kind of how they render a story. Like KJ Charles, I think, is a wonderful author. I think she just does things that are like phenomenal um, in writing. Elin Harris um, was probably the first um, queer romance that I ever read and I think I think it's really sad that he's not like in the canon of what we talk about when we talk about um, queer romance um, so yeah but I mean there's a lot of um, writers I like like I loved Amy Lane's early work was super significant for me I thought her some of her early books are like really some of my all time favorites um, so yeah, there's a lot of authors that I kind of go back to and read and read just to kind of be inspired by the way that they render a story. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But what is it about those books that, that resonated for you so much? I think, well, first of all, it was like, it felt, they felt familiar, they felt familiar in a way that was like a discovery almost. Cause like I didn't really ever know any people a a black man who was really exploring like 
the falling in love and 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 the feelings and the struggle and and the conflicts of trying to make like to make yourself happy and to find the love that you have this like to keep the love that you've discovered right so i think his books i thought were just so beautifully written and so tender and so heartbreaking it was it was just wonderful like i think being raised in the Dominican Republic where there's like toxic masculinity on steroids like the tenderness of his books um really was something that i hadn't like read before i think it just was kind of like eye opening to me mm-hmm. yeah now, yeah. so far in your Dreamer series, we've had uh, Nesto and Jude's story mm-hmm. and uh, Camilo and Tom's story. Um, there is, of course, uh, thank God, there's going to be a third book. Um, yeah. uh, whose story are we going get, to get in that one? And what can you tell us about that one? So it's Patrice's book. Patrice is um, Nesto's friend who's a Haitian-American man. He's a professor. And he, it's set in Ithaca, so he, um, he conveniently gets a job at Cornell um, in the economics department and moves to Ithaca. And he reconnects with Easton Archer, who is a character that we meet in Dreamer, who's a prosecutor, um, an assistant district attorney in Ithaca. And Easton is white, so um, it's an interracial romance. Yeah. When does it's, that one get to come out? That one comes out in October. I just saw proof for the cover um, last week, or no, earlier this week, and it is so nice. I love it. I think it's my favorite one, and I really love the covers for both books so far. But it's um, I'm calling it my Black Lives Matter romance, although it's not super intense, but it's definitely like the conflict between. Patrice and Easton is definitely revolving around kind of like having to navigate both of like their positions in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We we got a, a brief glimpse of uh, Patrice and Easton, like you mentioned in that first book. And then in mm-hmm. American Fairy Tale, um, there was a scene with all of the friends together and, and uh, Patrice um, sort of like phones in on Skype while they're like <laughs> dishing about uh, Camilo's mm-hmm. love life. Uh, which is was very very funny. So I am <laughs> genuinely like so very looking forward to Priest's story. I think it's going to be amazing. Can't wait. I know it's I I I've been revising it like I said, and I think it's it's a it's a sweet story. And then there's a little bit more of two characters that people have been curious about too: Ari and Jin, who were um, employees mm-hmm. of. Nestos and they're like in their like little tiny like young person romance so it's that's they're like a little cute element for <laughs> a love story it's called American Love Story is the title of Patrice's story cool and then you mentioned before uh, we started actually recording the interview that you're you're writing the fourth book right now mm-hmm. any, yeah. any teasers on that so that one is not an MM it's an MF actually it's um Juan Pablo story and Juan Pablo is um, it's like a, I'd say a second chances story and it's the heroine is Priscilla who is Nestle's cousin who's a police officer mm-hmm. 
and it's called American Sweethearts. So um, it starts, the only thing I can say, the book starts um, with a wedding in the Dominican Republic, but I'm not going to say who's. <laughs> oh, such oh. a tease. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tease a little more when I have, I feel like I can't tease too much of this book because it's not even halfway done yet. Sure, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm writing, right now I'm writing the first, you know, like, few chapters and they're all in this wedding in the DR. So everybody's there. But I, I do like how you we've seen with some traditionally MF series where an MM book ends up in the series. And I like how you're kind of spinning that around till you've got an MM series so far and you're putting an MF book in it. Yeah. Just to like broaden that universe out. Yeah, because I, so my kind of little tagline is like, I write romance full of people who look and sound like my people. And there's a lot of my people who are gay men, like so many of them, but um, not all of them are. So I, I wanted to, in this series, at least have one story where, you know, like both Priscilla and Juan Pablo are queer, like she's pan, he's bi, but it's um, also like a different type of you know, um, experience because they're both, you know, in engaging in a straight relationship, which brings on, like, has its own privileges, mm -hmm. like, in terms of, like, how it appears. So I also wanted to kind of, like, to explore that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think exploring yeah. the pansexuality, too, will be interesting because that doesn't turn up in a lot of books, at least the ones that cross my radar. And it's I think it's yeah. nice to see that representation as well alongside the ethnic background representation that you're bringing as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, and it's something that I think it's, um, because of their age, like I have, a, like I'm trying to kind of like engage a little bit in even Priscilla arriving to a place where she's like, Oh, actually I'm pan. It's as opposed to like, I thought I was bisexual and how she arrived at that. Cause I think that's something that, for people my age, like I'm 40, it's something that we arrived at because we didn't even have the language for that. Mm -hmm. Like 15, 10 years ago, we were like, oh, I think I'm gay. But then it's like, oh, but there's like a whole spectrum of sexuality, gender identity. And I think there's so much that we didn't know that we know now that should be coming up in books. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's great that you're kind of leading the way to kind of get some of that out there too. Yeah, it's 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 a fun, it's a great time to be writing romance, I think. Mm -hmm. So, besides the dreamer books, is there anything else coming up that you're looking to to write in the coming? I'll say years, since probably dreamer has you going for the rest of this year, probably if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. So I do have a couple of things that I'm working on. Um, I have, I'm like in the process right now of getting out, um, this, I did wrote, write the gay romance set in Ethiopia. Um, and I'm in the process of like, I should have good, some in, good news about it soon. And it's, um, a romance set in Ethiopia and it's a Dominican American relief worker. I did relief, international relief work for a long time. Um, and I lived in Ethiopia for about five years. And so I really wanted to write a book set in Ethiopia because I have a lot of love for Ethiopia. And it's like the, my years there were very significant in my life. So 
it's a gay romance. It's not legal to be in a same-sex relationship in Ethiopia, so there are complications. And it's um, a Dominican-American relief worker and a colleague who's Ethiopian, and they fall in love. I am so glad you finished that book. You, you kind of left that off back there when we were talking about it <laughs> yeah. before. Because that'll be, that'll be great to see because I, I can't even, I have you know, no experience in either any of those spaces. So to read a romance yeah. set there will be an adventure. Yeah, it's it was wonderful to write. Um, like I said, I have a lot of love for that country. And I think people's perception of it is like, you know, people starving. And there's just so much richness and so much beauty and magic in Ethiopia that I really wanted to just show a different face to it. And I think it's like a really sweet romance, too. And the setting is interesting. It's more like a new adult. They're in their 20s. But mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think it'll be out this year, maybe? Mm, I don't know if this year, but definitely early next year. Um, like for sure, like early next year. Yeah. Very cool. Fantastic. Yeah, Definitely looking should. forward to that. Um, yeah. Now, now you've given us uh, a lot of amazing information about all of your amazing books. But if our listeners want to learn even more, where can they find find out more about you and your books online? So they can go to my website is adrianaherreraromance.com. I'm pretty active on Twitter. And my handle is La Adriana Herrera. And Facebook, I'm also there, Adriana Herrera. So those are the places. I'm on Instagram, but not as much. Very cool. We will link to all of that, plus all the books uh, in our show notes so that folks can easily click on that stuff to find you. Adriana, thank you so, so much for being with us. (laughs) It has been awesome talking to you. Thank you. It was so much fun and just as amazing as I thought it was going to be to chat with you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again to Adriana for hanging out with us. I so love talking to her after how good uh, American Dreamer was, which is just really a treat. Mm -hmm. And just a quick reminder, American Fairy Tale drops on the 20th. Okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Just a quick reminder before we go, the Big Gay Fiction Podcast has its very own Patreon page. Now, Patreon is a way for fans to engage with all kinds of artists like writers, musicians, and podcasters as well. It's a great way to support the kinds of creative content that you enjoyed the most. If you're curious about what kind of bonus material we deliver to our fans every single month, just go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. And as we lead into Pride Month, which of course is coming up in June, we are giving our patrons the opportunity to get a special Pride Month card from us. If you want one of those, go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast and shoot us a personal message with your mailing address, and you will get a card from us in June. Sounds good. Now, guys, coming up next week in episode 189, Gail Carriger joins us, and she's going to be talking about her latest book, The Fifth Gender. Yes, it was a joy to talk to Gail after reading some of her uh, Sumage Solution books uh, and learning all about The Fifth Gender and what went into the creation of this book was really awesome. Cool. Looking forward to that. So, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to biggayfictionpodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday 
at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.